0: And there's a touch of, uh, how you might put it, Iberia about this. Hendrik Larson again! Larson has scored! It's great play from Henry Larson. To find the
1: UE and the final of the EV for Cup. There's Hartz he's
0: done it! A penalty kick! Alan Thompson. He's done it and he makes it look
1: so simple, Celtic, a one up Really great feeling. This is a magnificent victory for a team and a manager that's suffered a lot. Celtic are through to the UEFA Cup final. Hello and welcome to the Cynic Chronicles. I'm your host for today, Alan Edgar, and I'm joined by my co-host, panellist, Barry Gallagher. Barry, how's it going?
0: Good, thanks mate. Um, feeling festive. And hopefully we'll bring some festive cheer with this latest edition of the Chronicles.
1: Indeed. We've um we've tried to pick something festive as well, just to hopefully get us G'd up and try and um, what's the expression for? Um, manifest some some good um good thoughts going into the going into the big game in the second we're
0: Battle fever there, but that's that's no, the, no, no, not,
1: not quite. I'm sure there's a there's a cynic equivalent um, on the other side that, that probably does something like that and likes pavement as well, probably. Um, <laughs> so as I say, we we have picked a, a festive edition today, and we're going quite a way back. Um, I think to probably. The deepest recesses of our minds, um, back to December of 1997, going into then January of 1998, um, which is, of course, uh, a, a very momentous period in our history and would be the start of what was a great year, um, in 1998. Um, there's two games that were covering in this, um, the first of which is St Johnston, um, away and then, of course, the New Year Derby at Celtic Park against Rangers, um, but given we are going back quite some time, Barry, 1997, just give us a quick um, rewind into your life at that time.
0: Um, i had have been first year at high school. Um, and I'd, I, that was probably my third, third or fourth year uh, having a season ticket. Um, and just, yeah, I think that I was thinking back to kind of looking at pictures of this today, like that Christmas I seemed to get everything was just not, not that it isn't now, but even more so then. Like, uh, the sort—I of, see the lime green training gear. Remember, I had the, the sort of heavy umbro jumper of that. Yes. Uh, the black, the mainly black with the white and green um, windbreaker. I believe they, they used to call them, <laughs> uh, and the remodel of the stadium, which I've still got as well. So I remember that—that that being a particularly um, Celtic-heavy influenced Christmas. But uh, I was. Um, I just just sort of Celtic fanatical at that point, and um, really looking forward to um, the the upcoming games because we've spoken about this this week, Alan. Like the the festive fixtures, that's what you always associate. Do you think back fondly if Christmas is a happy time as it is? But because you get constant games of football, and it's always actually that period. Between Christmas and New Year where you don't know what day it is. And like yeah. Celtic can be playing like on a Monday and all that, playing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, stuff like that. I love how disjointed it is just to calm the fixtures in. And I know that particularly down south, I think uh, Jurgen Klopp's been quite critical, hasn't he, of the, the festive calendar. But um I love it. I know that you do too. What about you? I,
1: I think it's I think it's great for fans and probably horrendous for players, but well, that that's probably just the nature um of the business. Um and I do agree that there is something special at this time of year, and that it's you associate this time of year. I think, especially when people start finishing up work with two things: one, um, obviously, seeing family, friends, etc., and then the other is um, seeing Celtic. Um, and you really do base everything around it, and you do try and kind of remember what day it is we're playing, and it's no Saturday three PMs that you normally kind of fix it around. Um, for me, I was. I would have been in, I think, primary five at this time. Um, this was the last year before I got my season ticket. I um, became a glory hunter in ninety eight, ninety nine. Um, <laughs> that was my first season as a season ticket. Um, still went back despite that, right enough. Um, so I wouldn't have been at the the home game here, um, unfortunately, um, which is obviously a very very momentous game. But just some like yourself, Celtic daft, and I do very well remember. I think that was this, the lime green jacket you mentioned. There was two versions of it. There was a windbreaker one. And then I think there was a big, heavy, you know, the kind of modern ones you see now with yeah. the actual big kind of puffer jackets. Um, never get any of them for Christmas. I think if they were to pop up on a uh, classic football shirts, if somebody's got one of them in their cupboard and they don't use it, then somebody will pay 200 <laughs> quid for that. Um, definitely not get some extra Christmas cash. Um what we always do, as you'll as you'll know, is we always try and set <clears throat> a wee bit of context about the time. Um in the way of world events and news, there there wasn't a great deal. Um there is there was something that was a big headline in the UK, um, which we'll probably come on to when we talk about the, the second game, but um no nothing dramatic or huge in the world of um British politics or anything like that. Um music number one, um was Too Much by the Spice Girls um, which I have heard this song, I'm aware of it which is <laughs> quite rare for these um, and I actually think their movie was out around about this time as well um, and the number one movie at this time was also um, was Tomorrow Never Dies, James Bond and I know Barry you're not a big fan of um, British super agent spy James Bond am I right?
0: Exactly right Um yeah, always gunning for the the, the other side.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not really uh the the Christmas music number one in the movie number ones a probably aren't a great um i great for your side on this one, I'm afraid it's a, I need to chalk that up as a loss. Um, and <laughs> and speaking of um speaking of well losses, we're we're obviously going to come on to our first game. Um but just a wee bit of context this time. For Celtic, which is really what everybody's actually interested in. December 1997, Barry. Um, this was obviously the year in which um, this is the end of the 90s. Rangers had won nine consecutive titles coming into this season. Um, Celtic with a new manager, um, Van Janssen, and a whole host of new players. um working kind of trying to just move out of the the... The era of the superstars that we had, but unfortunately hadn't succeeded. Um, and the title race was still a title race, but it, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't going great for Celtic. Um, can you just maybe talk us a wee bit before we go into the, the game? The game's on the twenty seventh of December. If you can, kind of reach into the recesses of your mind, Barry. Um, can you tell us a wee bit just about how you felt at that time? How if you, were to be, if you were to be asked the 26th of December 1997 how confident you were that Celtic would manage to stop Rangers winning a 10th consecutive title, where do you think you would have sat at that time?
0: Well, oh, it'd be 30-40% probably being generous there. Um, similar to actually last season, um, we had a horrendous start that's been well documented. We lost our first two league games of the season, so in normal in or sort of in any normal season there wouldn't be much margin for error, but this one seemed to be it was a bit like pass the pass because right up until March of ninety eight, it was more or less a three horse race, um, with hearts, and hearts were right in it at this point in time as well. Um there were some good performances along the way. Um Lambert was a good addition to come in um, in November, I think it was. And him and Burley were starting to form a partnership. Larson was already shown his class. Um, we did the podcast about the terrell Innsbruck game. And I think from that game, that really sort of gave him the confidence and gave the, the support, the confidence that he was the man to, to be that superstar. Um, even though we're moving away from the sort of three amigos. Um, but the performances were sketchy. Um, the one thing that I would say that maybe gave me a wee bit more confidence was um, in November so what two or three weeks before this we had won the the League Cup against United Um, and that gave gave everyone the sort of belief that we could have winners but the form up until then um, we had a couple of draws in there I'm sure Um, Kilmarnock is one that springs to mind and then, as you say, for this St Johnson game. Um, and I think that, it, as I say, it was stop-starting. So for, from like that high of the, the League Cup win, um, and then kind of crashing down to earth with a couple of poor results, because, as I say, you needed to be almost perfect, or you would think you um, would have to be almost perfect to, to really make a go of uh, challenging Rangers at this point.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think... Um... I think that's probably what I expected to hear. And um I think my a lot of my memories of the first you know, six months of this season, uh first five months, whatever it was, is you had a lot of new players and I think a lot of stock was being put in the hope that they would come good. Um, and there's a couple of players that will kind of reference particularly with that and some fall on the good side, some fall on probably not so good side of it. Um there were two key games in November where I think one of the things that it was felt that was to to win the title, you were going to have to really improve your record against Rangers. And our record against Rangers at this time was particularly poor. And we, there was two games in November, one of which we drew and one of which we we lost at, at Ibrooks. And it did maybe have a little bit of that feeling that there was, there was, in fact, I don't think it maybe felt but there was a big psychological barrier um, to playing Rangers and getting over the line. I think we've talked in. Loads of previous pods about the Tommy Burns team and you know being good, entertaining, open, but just not being able to get, get it over the line. Um, so that's obviously going to be another kind of big theme of this as well. And people have been will oh, have twigged with that just with the dates. Um, sorry,
0: well, can you see how you mentioned the game where they beat us at Iberts? There was one moment that sickened me up until the last day of the season, and it was a celebration. You remember.
1: And Richard Goff's it was, was it that uh, game,
0: yeah. Yeah. I that haunts him for forever.
1: <laughs> yeah. Paul um Paul Lambert's debut, um, that game, um True. as well. And um yeah, th- again that feeds into that idea. I mean, Paul Lambert's a player that come in probably with a better pedigree than any other player on this side, um, having obviously won the Champions League and succeeded um abroad. But you needed these guys to come in and try and do it quickly. Um, yeah. And there was a lot <laughs> of players that kind of fit into that scenario. Henrik, obviously, with the start um, against Hibs. Um, you know, with the timeframe we we're looking at, we'd not long signed um, Harold back as well, who came in with. There was high hopes that he would, you know, be the difference maker for us. He, so there's a lot just, of stock being put in these guys as well.
0: He just scored, um, I think in November, um, against, to beat Real Madrid for Rosenberg. Remember... He used to show you the goal quite regularly when we were linked with him. It's like a kind of volley, I think, from the edge of the box. Um a kind of famous famous victory for Rosenberg. So you were hoping with the the way that Larson had been, been performing. Um and it's it's often sort of overlooked that Larson, Larson first came in, in that um that season until towards the end of it, he was more the sort of the link player, wasn't he? Before he was yeah. the out and out striker. So they were hoping that Larson would sort of play behind Bratback. Um and they would be a, a deadly partnership. That, on paper, it looked that way anyway, because he had a phenomenal record for Rosenberg, And as I said, scored against um, the who would go on to be the European champions, uh, Real Madrid. Yeah,
1: and from those high heights, he came in and he would have away games. I think. It, um. St Johnston home games against Hibs, home games against Hearts and then the big, big derby in the second. So um, his first away game for Celtic was at McDermott Park, which was on the 27th of December 1997, which is the first game that we are going to look at here. Um, I think it's fairly easy to put this into context for anyone listening. Um, because we're in a very similar situation or we're about to be in a very similar situation um, in the coming weeks. Maybe add on to that the pressure of um, potentially uh, instead of a title race we'll be going for a second consecutive championship this year. Um, The context for this is that you're trying to stop Rangers from winning a record 10th consecutive title. So every game matters um, and St Johnson away, which is the last game before you host Rangers in the 2nd of January is a, a massive game and certainly a game that you want to go and win. Um, it's very easy, I think, for us now to imagine that. At the time, I think the league was slightly more competitive. Um, I think, as you mentioned earlier, Hearts going into the, the Rangers game, Hearts split Celtic and Rangers. We were actually in third position. Um, but St. John's in is certainly a game that that you would be going and, and, and looking to win. Um And I think I mentioned Wimmy Anson earlier, and I think he's he's a name that comes up a lot here. Looking at all the um, pre-match and post-match of this St. Johnson game, Um, and one of the big things is is team selection. Um, So the the Celtic team for this game um, was Gould, Boyd, Hannah, McNamara, Enrico Anone, Alan Stubbs. Darren Jackson, Craig Burley, Martin V. Paul Lambert, and Reggie Blinker. Um, just very, very quickly off the top of your head there, Barry, what, what jumps out and, and do you remember what the kind of big issue at
0: the time was? I think straight away for me is the lack of attacking players. Um, Dar Jackson was a forward, I would say a forward specifically rather than a striker. Yeah. Um, someone who liked to come deep and a sort of prime example of that is the goal that he scored in the earlier fixture in the season, um at McDermott Park where he, he kinda yeah. a wonderful goal from the edge of the box. Um I know that Larson was injured for this game, but looking at that game, it's looking at the line up there, it's just it's disjointed. It's hard to see um what type of formation we were playing. Um and I'm sure you're going to come on to the Reggie Blinken had fallen massively. Out of form, um, yeah. and he was <laughs> can't think of another word to use. But he was stinking out of the place. And that became yeah. a sort of um line, didn't it, for having a, a poor performance, having a edge. I
1: mean, if if he was a great player, it wouldn't work, but it works perfectly because I mean, look, he his, his best days were at Celtic. Um, he, he didn't really work out here. Um, I think he was popular amongst quite a number of the players, um, but. It 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 never he never did what we really hoped, and I think off the back of having certain really key attacking flair players who really did turn the on for us, um, especially in some big games. Blinker was the polar opposite of that, and really really struggled, and really struggled particularly in you know big occasions.
0: I think as well really he was on a bit of a hiding to nothing because of the whole member. Jock Brown used to say they traded that's the only time I've ever really heard that in football. We traded Paolo Di Canio for Reggie Bunker yeah. and got four million. Like For optics, it's not great, is it? Aye. The way and we've obviously he's turned out to be a bit of a dickhead, but he he was. Um the the support loved Decanio. Um and speaking about someone who had attacking flair and impact, um impact in big games, and then on the face of it to Have his position replaced with Reggie Blinker, it felt like a massive drop off in quality.
1: Mm -hmm. And whilst we're running through teams, the St Johnson side, there's probably a lot of names here that will ring a bell, maybe a few that don't. Um, St Johnson lined up for this match with Main, McCluskey, Davidson, um, Dasovic, Weir, Kernahan, Scott, O'Neill, Kane, O'Boyle, and Preston. and I think, to be honest, when I was doing my research for this, was, there was there two things non-Celtic related that, that jumped out to me in this game. First of all, there was a, a lot of players in that St-Johnson team that I think the average, maybe talent of some of the other teams in the league would have been better um, at that time. And I think there's a number of players in there that um, certainly had very good careers at, at Scottish league level. The other thing that jumped out that I was maybe just keen to, before we talk about the game itself, um, or, or potentially not, um, is talk about the attendance. The attendance for this game was, um, was reported from anywhere from 10,500 to just under 11,000. Um, Has is, is the average attendance, do you think, slightly gone down? Mm. Um, now, the, I, I checked the last game where we were at St. Johnson was just over 7,000. Um, so, you know, a drop-off, including this being a fair, a festive game of around about 3,000 I don't know if that's something You've thought about at all Or I've been to um, McDermott a number of times I remember going in um, I think the first time I went would have been It was under O'Neill Maybe about 2002 or three. I don't remember exactly But it felt much like it is today But I looked at that and I seen just under 11,000 And I was a little surprised
0: I think <coughs> I think at that point, St Johnson, um, because it's sort of well noted now that um, St Johnson don't take a lot or, or don't get a lot to, uh, to their home crowds, um, but I can't think of why um, why it was so much more, because unless they gave us more, but I, I remember, I think the first time I was at St Johnson was 2000, was um, first season. And we, we definitely did get three three yeah. sections of the stand that we still do now. So that, That's how it,
1: I remember it up at, up at up that up time up. as well. Um, so I was just a wee, a wee bit surprised. It might just be variance between one match to another. I'm sure there's um, someone who tracks these things <laughs> a lot smarter than myself.
0: In fact, just thinking, I think we maybe potentially, because I'm thinking of that game that I went to in 2000, so what, two, two and a bit years after this. I think we see the stand across for the camera. I think we might have used to get all of that. Now we only right. now we only get a wee section of their main stand, don't we? Yeah. So I, mean, I think we used really to get both behind both goals and maybe all of the stand across on the camera. But I'm I'm not quite sure why it'd be why it would be a drop it, off.
1: It, it just jumped out to me. And I think the likelihood is probably that it is a change in our allocation because I don't think St Johnson have um I don't think they've lost three thousand fans over the years. Um they just it, it seemed odd, unusual. Um, the match <laughs> itself, Barry, recollections of it might be um, slender. I think we were talking and were honest enough to say um, we could come on and pretend that we remember it well. Um, it's not one that sticks out in the memory for me, but the result itself is well, potentially could have been seismic. Um, <laughs> I talked a lot about Jansen's team selection. Um, he was under pressure for that. He wasn't necessarily under pressure in any way, shape or form for, for his job at that time. Um, I don't think there was any suggestions of, of that. But going away, it put a great deal of pressure uh, going into that Rangers game. We do lose the game. Um, we are in some ways unfortunate. Um, some real chances towards the end. But we lose a second half goal to um, George Boyle. Um, who will maybe come back on to you but we lose a second half goal to Georgia Boyle um, and we have a late flurry a lot of chances towards the end of the game but going and losing that game at that time of year I mean you can imagine the reaction we would have now if we were going into what was a must win game at the time um, do you remember much about the reaction to it back then Barry? Hmm.
0: I, I can't and I was trying to think back in hindsight Um and we, we were talking just before we came on that um this was in the days before that an official T V deal. There was obviously games that Sky and um SDV could select um pretty much at uh, a moment's no notice because there was sometimes games just appeared um and people didn't know until like the, the week before. But it's one I was kind of scratching my head trying to remember, but if I look at it from the point of view as you say if it was now that you were just thinking it was going to be more of the same. Like going into the um going into the derby where looking at this today, I don't think we'd won a derby since uh, a New Year's Derby since 1988. Um so ten years and we've spoken about this before. Like you always like see the game before you play Rangers. You like it to be an emphatic performance so that the crowd the crowd are cheering on the cheering the players off the park, so they can bring on the Rangers. Um, he went to kind of give them the best possible grounding for that. But at that point, as I said, we'd already lost, I think this might have been potentially our fifth league defeat of the season. Um, fourth or fifth anyway. And it seemed like the worst possible preparation. Um, George O'Boy was one of those guys who always seemed to have a good game against us. Um, and... Just as you as you read out the team there, there's so many names that I can remember who did damage against Celtic. Nick Dasovich was another one who scored the one at Celtic Park. Um, Kane all seemed to give us a torrid time and it, it did seem to be a tricky place to go. I know earlier in the season we'd beat them, as I said, the one Larson's uh diving header and Dan Jackson, and then I think we beat them the very next game in the Cup Simon Donnelly scored. Um but yeah, it just it felt ominous, um, is the word I would use because if you'd imagine, if um, if we were, if we failed to win, not even um, not even secured a win for ourselves, but if we'd failed to, even if we'd drawn, um, I think the league would have been too much for us at that uh, that point.
1: And I think that's the that's the thing that jumps out as well, and um, particularly playing against that Rangers side with the history we had against them, the fact that you've. You know, you've passed up three points um, you're not in second place. You're, I think this left us four points adrift going into that game against Rangers. I think it changed the nature of it um, so that Rangers potentially wouldn't even have to win that game. Uh, and like we, again, not to cover old ground, but for many years, I think Rangers were quite content coming to Celtic Park and, you know, hit us with a sucker punch Um mm-hmm you know, a lot of pressure on us and I think, you know, particularly in 96, 97, that's what we had seen. So I think there was a concern that you take all that pressure off going into that game and um I, I just, I, I don't remember great detail about it at the time. I don't remember um this because immediately the focus shifts to that Rangers game in the 2nd of January. But it just would, the, the fear that you would have, you know, you've got a good six days between the matches and I, I really think that, it, can you imagine now if we were to lose and then you get six games when you're off, potentially, if you're lucky enough to be off at this time of year, if you're off work and you've got six days to allow that to rattle about in your mind before a huge okay. dab again. Um, I mean, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I can feel myself. I just, can, <laughs> <laughs> it's washing up my neck like nobody's business. Um, but obviously, when you're a wee bit younger, you, you get sick and you get nervous. But that idea that it gets easier as you go older, um, that that's quite simply a lie. Um, for any younger listeners that are maybe thinking, when you get to, you know, 30, mid-30s, that actually it's easier to keep your emotions in check. It's a big lie. It's going to get harder and harder and harder. So uh, so good luck. Um, good luck I, there.
0: I've just got to come in there as well. That, um Georgia Boyle, like on the face of it, you would imagine he would be one of us, but he was from the Shankill, I remember. And my dad always used to shout something about the Shankill whenever we were playing against him. Um, so he would have been loving it. Um, and as I say, he just, he's just one of those names that, not to jump too far ahead, but um, the, the reverse fixture in May, which is a unique part of our, mm. one of the crowning points of our history. That ball that it goes across the face of the goal that Georgia Boyle just misses when it was still one mm-hmm. 0 That's the that's the thing I think of, um, and it's just one of those names that makes you sort of grimace when you hear it.
1: Well, it is. Um, it was funny again, looking just researching and trying to find as much context as possible um, post match. Um, Georgia Boyle comments that Celtic were extremely poor and that they would need to be a lot better in their next game against Rangers. And it just jumped out at me as a little bit odd that having just won a game, which obviously a big big win for St. Johnson, you would take the time out to actually mention that not only were Celtic poor, which is probably fair, but that actually they would need to be better in their next game against an opponent that has, you know, been a little to do with you, but that may be a Scottish football. And then to add to that, I did find a comment um, from many, many years later when I think George Aboe actually got banned from the league or was kicked out for um, uh, an alleged drug drug offence. Um, but many, many years later, um, he had a quote where he was asked about what it was like playing in the Scottish Premiership or the Scottish League. And um, he mentioned that, you know, the quality of the sides that you played against were really good and that actually played against really good players and the specific quote as well when I looked into it in more detail was obviously Celtic had Henrik Larson and Rangers had Barry Ferguson, Giovanni van Bronckhorst, Richard Goff, Andy Gorham, Brian Loudrup, Marco Negri, a lot of big players Paul Gascoigne as well I suppose um, so he's named one player from Celtic and then he's read out what might well be the Rangers team that I read out for the next game um, or very close to it
0: His Rangers 11 So, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, you can probably take a guess that uh, George Boyle was more of a a Rangers man than a Celtic man. Um, And, um, yeah, that that was that. Mm -hmm. Quotes from um, certainly a more Celtic-minded individual, Wim Jansen. He's asked specifically about Reggie Blinken after the game, and I mentioned that that was one of the things that that brought a lot of pressure on him or brought some pressure on him. I would imagine there's maybe an element of because he's a a Dutch manager and it's a Dutch player, that potentially there's maybe a suggestion of favouritism. That's just maybe a a bit of retrospective thinking there. But on the the player himself, um, Wim Jansen said that you win as a team and you lose as a team. It's not about one player. Um, We had many that didn't perform at Perth, but it is clear that there is a, a conversation to be had with Blinker. And again, no different from it is now. As soon as you lo- you lose these games and you're going into a next game, the-, the questions immediately go to team selection and what Celtic will do. And I think your comments, Barry, as soon as I read out that team, are absolutely spot on. There's very, very little there in the way of, you know, a- an out-and-out striker. I think it was always more of a, a wider player, and Darren Jackson was certainly more of a hybrid. If you want to be kind, Harold brought back on the bench. He came on in the last thirty minutes in this game, and um, I think he missed a chance late on. We'll probably come back to no,
0: um,
1: I <laughs> come back <laughs> to that. He only liked scoring against um, Real Madrid. Um, clearly, <laughs> uh, it does look like a side that there's a lot of talent in there. You know that, I mean, Vicos Lambert Burley. You know, there's real talented players, but maybe just a little bit of a lack of identity. Um, I think when Jansen again, you might remember a little bit better than me. It was quite rigid. They liked a 4-4-2. Yeah. And you've got two strikers there, but none of them are really necessarily out-and-out strikers, Barry.
0: Exactly. Um, and I think some of the comments said that, that he was reluctant to change from his system. So he wasn't adaptable. And you could argue that That formation and style of play was what we needed after the, you mentioned earlier, the sort of Mm Cavalier-Gung-Ho attacking flair um, that Tommy Burns had before. But it was almost as if we'd gone too far the other way, where we were stodgy, um, trying to sort of win games by a goal, um, a goal to nil, if we could. And it was almost as if we were trying to emulate what had worked for for Rangers. the previous nine seasons, but yeah, we were just hoping for a spark going into the the next game. Um, Obviously, Larson, we were hoping that his injury would clear up um, and get him on the pitch, at least, because he'd shown in the the, the four or five months of the season so far that he he could score goals, um, and he was sort of cut out for the big occasion. But um, yeah, I just think that that team was, was very much, I think, I think Bratback turned out to be the ninth signing of the season, um, but we still felt we needed more, and I th- you could argue that we still needed more going in, like six months and a year uh, after this. Um, and it always seemed to be the case in the nineties that we were we were on the right track, but we just didn't want to take that that next step. Um, but you were hoping at this point that if you could get Larson in the team, and hopefully Bratback would be ready to to start sort of feeding off him, um, as it were.
1: And and that's that's really when you, you mentioned Spart they going into this next game, and the next game is the second of January, um, the somewhat traditional um, New Year Derby. Um, we come into this four points behind, as I mentioned, we haven't won a game against Rangers in the, in the last eleven, um, which is, I mean, just inconceivable nowadays. But that that is correct, and that was the case at the time, um, and really if you don't win this game, it doesn't mean you can't win the league. But knowing what we know, and again, I don't think anybody listening to this doesn't know the outcome of this season, so we don't need to be coy. Had we not won this game, um, the, there is the potential that we might not have, um, have won the league. And we'll talk a little bit about the legacy of this game after, but coming into it, do, do you remember much about the build-up itself specific to this game?
0: I just um, just... I think that the I was looking back, see the, the previous season. I um, was at ninety six. I would missed the the one um, at Celtic Park. I think we drew don't know at the post. I remember. So this was my first one yes. that i had in te- uh, um, attended, and just fever pitch. Like been looking forward to it. Um, it's one of those things that once Christmas is out of the way, and I know that we did have the the poor result against Johnson, but. That's all I could focus on. Like, wasn't interested in anything else in between. It was just getting to that game. Um, obviously decked out in my, my Lumi <laughs> line green um, Celtic jumper in the, in the jacket. Um, and just been brought up in these games, obviously watching them on the telly um, with not much success. You were just hoping because I think it's that thing, form goes out the window and I don't often believe that because I think the form team more often than not wins. But you're just hoping that we'd seen enough from this Celtic team that if we clicked, um, this Rangers team would maybe creaking a wee bit. Um, mm-hmm. you were hoping that on a day that we could we could beat them because we mentioned the our Hearts were in it and we'd um in the November we would had that massive um victory against them where Craig Burley scored which felt like a huge result at that time. Obviously, we'd won the the League Cup that I mentioned. And the previous game against Rangers was the the light equaliser by Stubbs. So it started to feel like the tide was maybe turning a wee bit in the games themselves, maybe not the title race, but you were just hoping that something would click um, with the stadium behind us. And um, just so excited to go to my first sort of New Year's derby.
1: Yeah, and I think when you mentioned... Trying to turn that tide, I think it, that would have to be done on on this in this game in this occasion. Um, and I think had we not, or you know, had we, we drawn, then again it, it would feel like more of the same. And I think you know, for for Vimy Anson particularly, I think that you then go back to that and we talk. We talked about it a lot, maybe, and after Ange Postacoglu came in, getting those big results gives you that legitimacy. Um, and it gives that belief because these are the games you need to win. Um and particularly in this this season, this was a, a certainly a game that you needed to win. Um we'll come on to the Celtic team. Um I'll I'll go through the Rangers team. Um, it's quite a cast of characters, so um if you'd rather skip on the the Apple function, <laughs> skip on fifteen <laughs> seconds, then maybe press that twice and go. Um it was Gorham, McCall, Cleland, Goff, Perini, Alberts, Tern, Ferguson, Negri, Gattuso and Loudrop. Um welcome back to some of <laughs> our most bitter listeners who skipped on. Um I mean that is you, you mentioned that maybe that was a team that was creaking. Um Barry, um it's. I think it was, it was certainly a more established side than ours. And it was a team that I think, if I'll be entirely honest, my memories have gone into these games. And, and it's very difficult to remember this, going into this game specifically. I certainly remember the game itself in the aftermath. But going into this game, you felt a little bit like you had been here before many, many times. Um, you mentioned Phil O'Donnell hitting a post, genuinely one of my most vivid memories um, because it just looked like an incredible strike, and it was another of those occasions where it's close but no cigar. And it's very, very difficult to continually put yourself in that position to be knocked down. Um, you know, as uh, you know, primary five have been just ten or ten or ten or eleven going into this game. It's very, very difficult um, to constantly get yourself up to to then get knocked down because you do kind of start to think why is life very unfair um (laughs) and it was a it was a tough upbringing being born in a and not really not seeing Celtic win a title until this season um is is very very difficult so I think as much as you did feel like it was a team that was creaking on the same side it wasn't a Celtic team that were consistent. It wasn't a Celtic team that had shown that they could do it in the big stages yet. I know you mentioned the League Cup. Um, after the Scottish Cup 95, that was the only trophy that had seen Celtic win. So it's certainly moving in the right direction. But I think look, from my point of view, it was just about getting over the line against Rangers. Um, and they did look like much the same as they had been in previous years. I think sometimes the subtleties... Of players ageing and maybe getting that little bit older from their side, I think that's maybe lost on you when you're a little bit younger and um, you just see it as the same villains from you know previous movies really
0: Definitely, yeah um, I'm just looking at that team so it was the sort of old guard as you were it's almost like, see that what was it used to call it when was that a cut and shut, see when they took like an old car and put like cut it with a newer car, that's kind of what the Rangers team is here because you've got the old Guys who seem to have been there forever, Goro, McCall, Quell, and Goff. And then you're sprinkling, oh, Ian Ferguson as well, sprinkling some Italian flail, Laparini, Negri, and Gattuso, Loudrup, who'd been the sort of scourge of Celtic before. Um, yeah, on paper, that was one of the things as well. And as I say, I was at this game, but it used to be when you watched it on Sky, I can still remember the graphics that Sky used. Yeah. Um, the wishes. Yeah, Um Martin Tyler was a commentator, um, as he was in this game as well. Um and it used to just be it used to it stomach churning when you saw it appear because more often than not there'd be stories in the press all week that oh Alberts is injured, Loudrop's injured, and they would always, always play. Um and I just read in here as well that um both the managers were really guarded with their team. Yep. Um selection um ahead of this game with who was going to play and who wasn't. But I just always have vivid memories of my old house growing up and it was probably more the the Derby games at Ibrooks at New Year and you would just see the team flash up and that graphic as I mentioned and just your stomach would just go. Um but it's a wee bit different when you're at the stadium. Um obviously in those days they had the much bigger allocation and where I sit you could you could hear everything they were saying, and it was just—it felt you had that nervous energy because that bit where they all come over and applaud their fans before they got the tunnel—that's mm-hmm. just, a, yeah. um, just fires you up so much, and a mixture of genuine hatred and genuine dread, I think, is the, yeah, the cocktail that I would describe it as. That's
1: that's an ex- a perfect way of putting that. I think, um, from our point of view. Um Bim Jansen, we we talked about the St Johnson game, and we talked about the criticism post-match of sticking with um Reggie Blinker, particularly, um who seemed to come in for a lot of the flak. Um he does shuff, shuffle the pack for this game, so Celtic go for um Gould, Boy, Danoni, McNamara, Reaper, Stubbs, Larson, Burley, Bratpack, Lambert, and V Cost. And the, the two names immediately jump out there. You you've changed your your two strikers, um, Henrik Larson and Harold Bratback both coming in. Um, Larson having missed the previous game with, a, I think it was a hamstring injury, and Bratback having come on in the last 30 minutes. Um, so Reggie Blinker and Darren Jackson miss out. It's, it, Henrik aside, obviously, because he comes back in naturally, um, he's not the Henrik of 2003 quite yet, but he is, you know, as you say, he's, he's your talisman. He, it's clear that he's a talented player. But Harold Bratback coming in is a real shuffle of the pack. It's entirely different. It's a, I think even at that time, even having seen him two or three games, it was clear that it was a striker that could get in behind and he could use his pace. Um, I'll try and be fair to him. I'm, I'm not a big Harrow <laughs> Bratback fan. Um, it's a story with a happy ending, but with a lot of legwork to get there. But he, he did have pace. He could get in behind. It just... Happened that when he did use that piece to get in behind, that he it, it wasn't a particularly good finisher for us. Um, but it is a big call, you really are shuffling your pack, and hindsight would make you look and think it's a very aggressive move, but I think it maybe was enforced, really, very little option, um, because this is quite clearly a must win game.
0: Definitely. Um, the other big inclusion was smart. Reaper because he had missed the, the St John's game with an injury so Reaper I think had come in high pedigree and he was living up to it They um, really sort of talked stubs through games as we've said on many pods but just looking at the midfield it's a, a really narrow midfield I think um, I know McNamara was sort of playing on the right um, of the midfield um, that season um, and then I'm guessing Course was sort of coming in off the left Um but, yeah, Enrico Anone, I know he started the previous game, but he started to get a bit of joy this season with sort of doing a number on uh, Brian Loudrup, sort of following following him all over the park, uh, man-marker, if you will. Um, but, yeah, I think, as I said, you get that sort of bread in your stomach when you see the team coming out. But I think when you heard that, because this was in the days before uh, Twitter or getting the the team early, um, I don't even think, probably wouldn't have had Clyde on anyway, um, going to the game. So I think hearing it in the stadiums, the first you would have heard. But I think when you heard that, 11 starting for Celtic, based on the previous week, you'd have thought, right, we are given ourselves the best possible chance. There's no not many other options. Um, you'd argue that Donnelly was maybe unlucky, um, not to play, because he'd, he'd done okay that season. Mm-hmm. But I think that was... Oh, that sort of imagery. I going into war. That's your, probably your best eleven soldiers that you could have got in the park today. That day.
1: Yeah. And um, we we always like to you kind of you've you mentioned, and we'll, we'll get your uh, memories of what was your first Celtic Rangers game. Um, you'd mentioned is that right? Uh, no, it was the first one at New Year. Um, first New Year. Sorry. Yeah, I've been. Um, I was thinking um, that, that that maybe wasn't right. For, for myself, again, no season ticket um, until the the next year, um when there's some not so memorable um derby games. Um and some memorable ones. That I, I would have watched this with um, with my brother, my dad and my granddad um who, who had Sky at the time, which I think I've mentioned before, which was a, a luxury. Um sometimes <laughs> <laughs> it was a luxury sometimes and it was um you really wish you didn't have it other times. So we, we would always watch these games and there was something. There's something more nervous about it being during the holidays, um, and and I've always maintained that whether it was whether you're a wee guy at school or whether you're an adult now, whether you're working, not working, you feel like you've got more time to chew over these games. I think going into it, um, and this would certainly be no different. And it, it was interesting there when you mentioned about you know that dread. I think it reminds me a lot sometimes of the, the kind of feeling you get when you're traveling, when you'd maybe you're at a stage where you just want to get home, every little thing that takes you closer to the game, you feel like it's a victory, but it's very short lived. So when the team comes out, you then have that thing of right. Okay. That's the team out. Then it's time the players come out to warm up and it's like, right, that's us getting closer. Everything's just edging you a little bit closer until the joy slash misery starts. And <laughs> that that's really what these games are. I mean, um, they are they can be the most incredible occasions of your life, but they, they take win, lose or draw, they they mm-hmm. take years off your life. They are th- there is nothing like it. Um so uh, to to go to this one would have been, I would imagine, quite special. Do you remember much about the atmosphere during the game before obviously the before the goals <sighs> come?
0: Um just it just seemed to be constant singing um in those days from the whole ground. Um and, yeah, just a wall of noise. Like every time, it's still the same, every time the ball would come out for a throw-in for them, giving them dogs abuse. Um, Everyone sort of running down to the front of the stand. Um, and I just remember it was one of those, it's, I think it seemed because the stadium wasn't complete, it seemed to be you used to get those really windy games at Celtic Park where there'd be like crisp packets and all that blowing around the pitch. Um that's my one memory of this game. Like just see when you're moaning every, I was like, something was fucking cast out of me. As if that's going to stop us getting a go or get them getting a go. Um and yeah, just I, I and the game itself, I remember they started um sort of more on the ascendancy, but she just thought, oh God, here we go again. Yeah. Um and that was maybe something that was a wee bit different um because as you mentioned, the, the Tommy Burns team, we seem to just go at them from the first whistle and um, then we would run out of steam and they would just pop pop one up the park and score. But I think in this game we had to sort of sort of mop up their pressure and find our way into the game. And I often think that even now that's possibly the best way to do it. And once you start to get your foot on the ball and you make a couple of passes, the crowd can see right we're we're on a game here and I think that's the kind of the way that this game started anyway.
1: Yeah there is there is a pattern um in this game and it is that Celtic as time progresses improve um and really come into the game. Um, we do have chances and a couple of them I think fall to Harold Bratback who isn't able to um to take them um Andy in goals um who I believe was more than the passing of his auntie um, allegedly in this game, um, who passed, famously think, for, ten weeks before, who um, he famously
0: forgot her name when he was asked. Ah, <laughs> uh, um,
1: so at that backs back to the start. There was, uh, I think, um, we we won't go too much into the news because it's it's outside the parameters of what we're discussing. But there was a lot of controversy post match because um, I think on the twenty seventh of December, the same day we played St John's, I think a loyalist paramil- paramilitary um, was was killed um, and the Andy Gorham then to wear a black armband at Celtic Park in the next available game seems quite um, quite convenient and his history since then would probably lead you to think that that's exactly what he was doing. I don't think we need to um, worry too much about suggesting that. So the the things that became a story post-match and this is something that does gripe me a little bit, maybe jump the head a wee bit. A lot of the stuff post-match is more about well, Andy Gorham, that controversy. And also Paul Gascoigne, who was didn't start the game, come on as a substitute in the last 20 minutes. Um, he had done his, his kind of flute gesture to the Rangers fans pre-match as well. And it's a momentous win, and it's unfortunate. And I, and I genuinely mean that. It is It's quite annoying that when you look back in a lot of the newspapers that... <laughs> The prime headline isn't a picture um, of a Celtic goal scorer, it's actually you know, about potential sanctions against um, Rangers players, um, none of
0: which come. See, just on that, I can remember it vividly, because see when they were, when they warm up, sort of like in front of the main stand, but on the corner, so in the sort of L shape of the pitch running there, and I remember Gazza doing it vividly. Um, and it, it's not the first time we did it, because I remember they were in a pre-season friendly when they first signed. Him, didn't he? And he'd obviously come out and apologize did didn't know what it meant. And then he does it again. And it was the third time was... he had done it. Um, yes. Hi. And um, just, I remember that riling everybody up. And probably in a positive way for us, because sometimes when you get that sort of, not to say a word that you often associate with but that seething, that sort of anger, um, you can put it into a sort of positive energy um, to really get behind the team because you really want to beat them and people of that ilk, um, which would transpire to be the case.
1: I, I think more from... and uh, we, we will move on to the, the game because it is um, it is incredible and some of the goals that we're going to discuss are are, are incredible. I think it is... Um, personally, uh, if one of my substitutes, um, if we were going to the Ibrox and a Celtic substitute um was riling up the Rangers fans pre match in a match that you then went on to lose. I think I would be um I don't think I'd remember him as a cheeky chappy that everybody loved. I think I would be absolutely fizzing. Um yeah. to be honest <laughs> that you um have not started the game which I think is a an important point here. Um you then potentially make it more difficult but um he never struck me as a, the brightest bulb so um <laughs> yeah so be it. a midfielders though, Barry, um I mean I think that the thing that's most, that I think is sometimes lost when you talk about this game, uh, I say sometimes lost, I think you think about the result and you think about the context. The quality of goals that you've seen in that day that you can go back and look at now, not only is this a momentous win, but the quality of goals here are fit to win any Derby game. And they really are up there. And the pantheon of great Celtic goals, these two... And one in particular in in my opinion is that they're, they're, they're up there they are i mean <clears> the <throat> Paul Lambert's school that we'll come on to again it's, you know people will know the outcome here paul Lambert's school is, is top ten for me um without doubt, and probably top five um to, to score goals like this in this occasion this isn't a case of you know you know you've 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 grabbed a goal um and then you've sat and held it. You've genuinely scored two goals of incredible quality that showcase that actually we have got talent in the team out with guys just like Henrik
0: Larson. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely. Excuse me. Um, and I think the the commentary that I always remember is to see because McNamara goes on a sort of amazing run, doesn't he? And he kind of juggling the ball between his left and right foot, and then almost similar to the way the Hearts the game against Hearts, at least in a sort of similar position. Um, to score, but the sort of reverse pass from Jackie McNamara is incredible and um, I think that's often overlooked because he's a brilliant piece of skill and then Burley sort of kind of cuts over the ball and sort of re- again and kind of reverses across Gorham. And but just before the ball gets to Burley, um, Martin Tyler says, Rangers you feel are here for the taking, and that was summed up perfectly. So He's not someone that I uh, Often think he has great words of wisdom, um, Martin Tyler. But I think he was spot on that day. Um, and then it's just bedlam because, as you mentioned, we were really coming into the game. I think Morton um, V Cost in particular was performing really well um, in this game, really getting his foot on the ball. Uh, Lambert and Burley, as you say, I think that's again that's something that's often overlooked. How pivotal they were. Um, mm. I know Burley's not everybody's sort of yeah. cup of tea. Lambert, Lambert is a Celtic hero, but. Billy's um contribution to that season uh, can't be underestimated and it was a great a great strike and no more than we deserved. And at that point, as you say, it was very much go and get another one, um because you would feel that if we got to um put the game without out with their out of their reach. But yeah, just just phenomenal. Um phenomenal couple of goals. And just before we come on to, to Lambos that uh, you mentioned the back chances. It was, obviously, we wouldn't know what it would go on to become, but at that point, it was encouraging to see someone who was causing them so much p- uh, bother with his pace. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's, there was one that he tried to lift over, Gorham, I remember, but that all sort of fed into the narrative that we're really going at them here and we're getting a lot of joy, which mm-hmm. is something that we had had in the past, but now we had something to grab hold of because of Craig Burley's goal. Yeah,
1: and and on that goal, I think just... I, I agree with large, what you said about Craig Valle. I think I probably tend to give him, I think I give him more of a pass than most people. And I think largely it's because he, I think he's, he, it's American television coverage as does now. And granted, you get the occasional quote from him. I don't think he speaks well at that side and the way he left. There's a lot to be um, discussed there. But if you are a kind of bit of a trailblazer in terms of, you take part in this game, I think you're inclined to give everybody a bit of a pass. Um, and because he's not on our TVs every week now, I think I care, kind of care less. So I probably agree, but it's it's less obvious to us. I think the thing about his goal that, that always, and I love watching it, um, his technique is quite cumbersome. The way he's kind of he, he kind of, he arcs himself over the ball. His hands are, he's, he's very, it's almost like he's gesticulating. Um, it's just that's. it's, it's it's poetic. It's just, you watch these goals so many times that you feel it's like watching your favourite movie and watching it for the 50th time. You, there's not much that gets by you. And I think when, with Craig bully's goal, it's just, it's one of those ones I would always like to see it. You know how if you were to do a wee flip book or like a wee post-it oh, notes, I, I think That's this nice. goal would look great just because of the way he's, the way he's it is, and it's, It is a great finish. Um, and it, Scoring against Rangers and breaking the deadlock particularly, I think then really is important and I think in this game if you get that goal as you say Celtic are on the ascendancy you'd seen it so many times before though where you hadn't been able to get it over the line you hadn't been able to be the first to score and put them under that pressure to do it in this game and it is I think it's well after the hour mark maybe 65 66 minutes it's very it, it felt like right okay You've given, there is still plenty of time but this isn't a Celtic team that are now going to try and sit it's a Rangers team that maybe they are not quite on the ropes but they've created very little on the game Rangers according to the stats which I've granted very primitive at the time zero shots on goal um, uh, shots on target sorry um, which it's not unheard of that they would you know they weren't necessarily a team that had 10, 15, 20 shots on target against you but you've always felt they would have that one chance I think maybe this time it's starting to feel a little bit different Um, and as you say going on then to try and press for a second goal I've watched this goal so many times and I I struggle to understand how it happens the way it happens because Mm -hmm. we're 1-0 up it's 85 minutes in a must win game and we're sharing the ball up the park and both our centre halves are in the box um, (laughs) kind of trying to which I think, is it Richard Goff is wrestling, is it Craig Burley? Or is it Alan yeah. Stubbs he's got?
0: Um, that he's
1: kind of yeah, wrestling to the ground? Um, I be because it is, um, I, th- I think it is Alan Stubbs, I'm sure it is. Um, the ball goes up and Alan Stubbs is, we'll go with that, is, is fighting with Richard Goff. Richard Goff is absolutely all over him. The referee in the day who was a, a Mr H Dallas um, from Motherwell opted not to give a free kick and it is the best non-decision that Celtic will ever get off a referee because what happens next is just one of the most incredible strikes um, on a big occasion that I think you'll ever see from a Celtic player From it is as you say it's from Paul Lambert who, I mean it's a right-footed strike and it is right in the postage stamp curling away from the goalkeeper Um, Andy Gorham can't get anywhere near it um, even if he had been at his peak and in shape um, mm-hmm. Those two things. Were, <laughs> uh, maybe you're asking a bit much, but he would never have got there. Even I don't think any goalkeeper would save that. Genuinely, it is just an incredible moment, and the release in the stadium must have just been incredible, Barry.
0: Oh yeah, it was. It was mental and see, even just that, just to go back a bit further. Um, as you described the build up there, so it felt even watching this back, it, it felt a bit disjointed for me because. So much was happening within the minute of the score. So yeah. Stubbs does amazing run, just runs out of steam at the end. Um then the ball kind of goes out and Burley has a shot that's pushed away by Gorham. And then I think um it's maybe Larson, I think, who fires on the cross. And as you say, that's been golf is all over um all over Stubbs. But it's just the way the ball sort of bobbles about for McNamara, isn't it? And then headed away and just hits it first time and just it couldn't be any more perfect in the corner, as you say. Like it's an absolute thunder bastard as seems to be the different <laughs> phrase that we use nowadays. But um temporary stand going mental and Lambert celebration, just the way he runs away with to be sort of black neck under the, the underarmour as it would be now. Um I'm glad I'm glad you brought
1: that up because it is the celebration that, that could only really happen in the late nineties with and I think it was it would have probably been the umbro under top, um wrong colour, um which obviously a referee wouldn't even allow now he would have to yeah. wear a white um a it's p- black, potentially it? green, it's black under it. And it's just sheer joy in the celebration. It's not um and there's nothing against a choreographed celebration. I'm not um I'm not Roy really Keen. You can absolutely do what you like if you score a goal. But it's almost that way. It's just trying to release excitement, and the only way to do it is just by much like a, a five-year-old. It's a wee bit too much sugar. Just keep running, and the way he runs along the north stand, which you don't really see, players tend not to. You tell, tend to wheel behind the goal,
0: yeah. and then
1: go that way, and maybe to the corner. Paul Lambert just starts saniing it up the north stand, and it is it's an iconic celebration, um, and it just pairs perfectly with that goal. It's like wine and cheese. It just goes. Beer and pizza—it just goes perfectly. Um, And I'm—I'm glad you brought it up because it is—it's one of the things that I always remember. From the goal itself is incredible, but the celebration is just sheer joy. The hands, hands at the side of his cheeks and looking up—it's just, yeah, it's it's a great goal,
0: a a great celebration. About definitely, and I think because of when it came in the game, you're just thinking, right? Surely now we've we've done it, and it's. Just even um, as you do when you come back from the game, you can't get enough of the content, and obviously then you'd have to wait till um, sports scene at, at that that night, and just remember we had it recorded, um, the videotape, and just oh, must have watched it on? out. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just brilliant. And then obviously when you see it back again on Sky, um, the commentary. Um, just Martin Tyler screaming Lambert's name and I think he says what a way to decide it or something like that Um, and yeah no more than we deserve because that second half performance spoke to probably from towards the end of the first half and then all the second half we just went at them and it's often something that I probably forgot but just in that passage of play play that I spoke about with Stubbs, see the pace that he's carrying the ball forward Mm. at like it's uh, it is very much gone ho, and it goes against what I'd said before the game with this sort of a very functional Celtic team, um, mm. who are more rigid. That all went out the windows, you say, with both our centre halves in the box for so five minutes to go. Yeah. Um it, that was I That was is just good. unusual. But it is
1: almost like it just um it just it always meant to kind of be, if you, if you like to think of it like that. And we'll talk about the legacy of the result itself. But um, yeah, incredible, incredible goal! It scored in the 85th minute, so you know time is very much um, running out. Celtic had brought on Darren Jackson for that back, back just beforehand, um, and fifty thousand fans, as, as it would have been at that time at Celtic Park, would have um, went up the road, up the road, happy to as you say, record the record Scotsport or sports scene, whatever it was. I I remember, I think we've probably talked about it before, I I remember I was at the 6-2 game but my brother recorded it at home and we had that tape easily for easily four or five years after the technology of videotapes was kind of long gone. And the way it lasted was we just wrote on the bottom of it, do not tape over and underlined it. And I think it was the underlining that really did it because every tape said do not tape over, but the underlining and you knew that that was the one um afterwards um obviously from a lot as I mentioned earlier a lot of the headlines which is a little bit disappointing I looked at uh, um some newspapers um from outside Glasgow as well Press and Journal um a couple of um local papers in Perth and it was largely about the kind of controversy of the Andy Gorham armband situation as well as um Paul Gascoigne's pre-match um antics um which is obviously a little bit disappointing because this is an incredible celtic victory and i think with a uh, incredible celtic victory especially from this kind of era you like to then think the iconic newspaper the next day um but i haven't been able to uncover anything like that which is a little bit disappointing one of the interesting things i did find though um was um some quotes from Craig Burley. Barry, I'd be interested to hear if if you remember much about this or anything about it after the time. Um, He'd he'd identified that actually Wim Janssen had a midweek meeting um, with the players. Um, And his words were, um, we had a meeting after the defeat by St Johnston, and some harsh words were said. The players were there as well as the management team. Wim Janssen is one of the quietest men I have ever worked with. But last week was the angriest I have seen him both at that meeting and after the St. Johnson game. So it does very much feel like the pressure was on and coaching staff players were aware of it at the time. Um, admit, I think tabloids would probably like to identify that as a crunch meeting um, or a crisis <laughs> talks, whatever <laughs> it might be. Yeah. Um, do you remember much if that was something that was reported prior to the time, or was that something that was maybe just kind of lost until after the game,
0: Barry? I think <coughs> I think um, one thing that sort of jogged my memory was that team in particular, there did seem to be a lot of sort of two-way conversations between the senior players and the management team. Um, and I think I think I remember listening to, I don't know who it would have been on, um, on one of the open goals. I think the Celtic players would always have like a, a Wednesday. I think it was La Vita in um, just off George Square. And they they would go there and kind of hash out any differences they had. But I think it's encouraging um, to to hear that Jansen was angry like that because I suppose that was probably different. Um, it's more common now that managers are much more methodical and, they don't want to be too harsh because then you've got nowhere to go if players do step out of line or you're not happy. Um, but it obviously worked and the players would have, as Craig Burley noted, that it was something different. And sometimes you think oh, it's good to see that it has that in them um, because it got the desired effect. And just the other thing I remember, see again at the end of the season where... Um, so Manny and I and Gal talked about a individual on in the pod a couple of weeks ago the Craig Falconbridge goal at, yep. uh Dunferman The world's loopiest goal eh? The world's loopiest goal Yes, that's right Come down with snow on it <laughs> and I well they said then they had a, I think they had a big meeting then and I think they ended up getting pissed which <laughs> probably would have been <laughs> happy to have known going into the biggest game of our lives on, on the Saturday um, but no, it just kind of struck me that Jansen was willing Yancey and McLeod were willing to sort of meet the players halfway um, and sort out any issues, which thankfully worked in our favour.
1: Yeah, and I think I think the meetings like this they're either the they're, they're entirely defined by whether you get the, the result or not. If you don't, then it's seen as. Panic, and I think that's why now managers nowadays tend to try and play it down um and we talk a lot about players not getting too high or too low based on you know good results or bad results, and I think that probably kind of feeds into that a lot um I'd like to maybe just finish off by um talking just a little bit about the legacy of that result and of that game. Normally we try and just focus on the specific time period, but I think this game does warrant um, just, just a brief chat about that. Before we do that, um, I feel I was a little bit critical of Harold Bratback, um, which is maybe a little bit unfair. Good um, about we all men at this time of year and all that. Um, I'm going to give him a quote that might um, give him a reprieve, and, and it does in my eyes. Um, and I'll, I'll read it a quote from 2010 um, when he was looking back at his time at Celtic and he said, um, Old Firm games are very special. I loved going away to Loch Lomond with the team in preparation for the matches. Um, my fondest memory of playing Rangers in my time at Celtic was the New Year derby of 1998. Um, nothing else, he just says, I roughed up Richard Gough and gave him two black eyes. Um, so... I mean, I'd chop that, that up as a win. I'd, I'd actually take that as a 3-0. Um, now, um, bully um, Lambert and Bratback um, in extra time. So, no, that was um, quite good to see. Um, and maybe had a little target, bit different from had the
0: target.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, weird, weird guy. Let's not no. go into Richard Goffey's. I think no. a weird, weird guy. Um, the you say this game, um, I think it's widely seen as the, one of the most important Celtic results of the 90s. Um, And I think it's easy to see why. Where does this game stand for you? Where does this sit in the, I mentioned earlier, that kind of pantheon of big goals and big results? Is is this up there?
0: I think it is, yeah, because we we often speak on pods about building blocks for future success. And I think this is a prime example of that because it was a game that mattered. And I know that we'd beaten Rangers in the... um, The Scottish Cup quarter final when De Canio scored, but this was a league game, um, Celtic Park, and in the in the sort of in the short term, obviously it closed the gap to one point. But I think it gave us that sort of confidence that we could go toe to toe with Rangers, Mm -hmm. take the game at them, and beat them. Um, And in terms of the legacy, obviously, as we know, we would go on to to win the league that season. The next season. We wouldn't win the league, but then it gave us the five-one game. Mm-hmm. A couple of seasons after that, we had the six-two game, and then I think in the twenty what the twenty-two years since the six-two games, we've given them plenty of hiding games to win the league, um, whitewash games, um, and it really really set the tone. Like I know what you went. The this team was nowhere near the the quality or the level of Martin O'Neill's team, um, but. This, I think, and it, it often said, it's often said nowadays, oh, well, you can't compare what happened for this team in the past, but I think in terms of our support, our fan base, um, some of the senior players who would still be there uh, into the O'Neill days, it really gave them the belief that we could take Rangers on for the first time in 10 years, I would say, Um and it gave the support, that belief, that we could really influence what was happening on the park as well. Because, as I say, that was one of the loudest I can remember Celtic Park. Um, obviously, only three of the four stands were built and made a temporary stand. But, yeah, that day gave us our belief back. Um, and obviously, we'd have a wee dip, as I say, the next season, uh, the next couple of seasons. But it really set the tone for the prolonged success that we've had in the what the 20, 24 years since then, 24, 25 years.
1: I, th- I think the, I, I think I would, I would agree. And I think the other thing I would m- maybe add to it is well, you mentioned the the temporary stand there. You know, I'm a big fan of um, Celtic temporary stand culture, um, <laughs> and I try and if I can accredit the temporary stand with anything, absolutely well. I think what th- there's no better symbol of Celtic moving into the the modern era than Paul Lambert crashing a goal into you know a, a visible scene of that stand not being built, it, it was a temporary stand, it was Celtic moving into the modern era very, very slowly um, and you know taking baby steps there but I, th- I think in terms of so many ways, I think the way you've looked at it, not just in this season, the context of that but in the context of modern Celtic, it is massive and we win the league this season by two points um, a goal difference of two um, it, it's very uh, you can't say if we hadn't won this game because then we might have beaten Dunfermline there's so many other things but yeah. this is momentous and I think what it highlights as well is, is that you can you can sustain early blows you know not winning that first game and um, and then not winning the second game but winning the third game the turn of the year it's it's a very very important game um, and and I, I think it's a it's, it's a real positive tale and it's also a cautionary tale as well for for us. Um, but I think it stands it stands well alongside any big results in our history. And I think you know for, for Wim Janssen who obviously um, isn't any longer with us, um, I think it's it's a real it's an incredible. Moment, and I think the image of him standing on the touchline with his arms aloft as the 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 second goal crashes in is just an <laughs> incredible moment. He's got the the kind of famed perm, and he's got that quilted kind of jacket on, <laughs> which I think was wasn't Celtic memorabilia. That was his own, and um, that would come into fashion, or come back into fashion many many years later, um, for a lot of people. It's just an iconic image, and again, he was so composed. Though he was delighted, he was happy, but he was just very composed and, um. I think that was something that stood throughout the year for him. He was always, he just looked like he was the calmest person in the world. But I think that we insight from Craig Burley about him, he knew how much it meant and he knew how important this game was. And he was able to put out an attacking, aggressive team out there that, that did exactly that in the day. And it's a, yeah, it's, it's one, of his, one of the great moments for him in, in the double season.
0: Definitely. Um, and I think, not to give the, the board any credit, but I'm sure um remember listening to... Uh, Jock Brown was on something and he said that Fergus was very much, he wanted someone who was almost aloof from mm-hmm. what nine in a row, nine in a row hysteria I think he called it, or ten in a row hysteria rather um, because uh, God rest Tommy Burns as well, he very much was one of us, heart on his sleeve Um and sometimes that could spill over because it meant so much to him. But whereas Wim Janssen was a lot more, he could take a step back, as you say. Didn't get too high, didn't get too low. But he knew when to celebrate when it was the right time. And today, or this game in particular, was one of them. And also when we, when we clinched the, the title at the end of the, the season. But just one thing, I had a kind of wry smile, and it wasn't a rise smile at the time. Um, but in true Celtic fashion after beating our biggest rivals the very next week we go to far park and drop points. Lambert scores potentially an even better goal. Um yeah, I remember I remember, that one. remember I listening to that on the radio actually and just thinking what the uh, how can we put so much into that game um and then not see it through. I think Dan Jackson maybe missed a penalty, if I'm not mistaken, as well. But uh I just the the reward we're a Celtic fan from thinking right, we're back on track and then we we going blow it the, the next week. And
1: that would, that was a theme that would very much continue um throughout the season. And as you mentioned, that, that game at been it's, it's an incredible period in Celtic's history. And I think this is of all the games that as far back as I would probably go, we always talk and we maybe tell a wee bit more about ourselves than, than we should when we mention that. But when you have had a couple of drinks and you're maybe on a you go down a, a YouTube rabbit hole, which is um always Celtic themed. Um This probably is the most common one that I would go back to that's the furthest back. Um, You know, you do tend to, recent history tends to, I think, win over. Um, I think 1998, the 2-0 game, is certainly one for me that I would go back to. It would be in some of my biggest wins, biggest results, and I'd... Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's as much praise as I can probably give it, that occasionally when I've had a few too many beers that I will put it on YouTube. That is, there's nothing else that these professional football players will um, remember, it's that they make um, middle-aged men who've had one too many beers happy 25 years later.
0: Definitely. And it's funny, just when you said that kind of struck a chord with me, the, the 2-0 game. Had, see, because we've had so much success in the, the 25, 26 years, whatever it is, since... The 2-0 game for years, you knew that was what you were talking about, this game. But there's obviously been 2-0s, many 2-0s since, or 3-0s. But it it was so rare in those days that the 2-0 game, you knew that it was this game because we'd gone so long without a big result against them. Um, Other result at Celtic Park, certainly anyway. Um, But no, it is definitely one of those games where so many bits of the commentary you can relive to yourself, um, passages of play um, and you do that thing, see so when Bratback's going through you're thinking, How, how's he not scored? <laughs> um, but yeah just a, a brilliant occasion and something that's really uh, whetted appetite for uh, the upcoming games in the, the next week or so Well
1: we hope that people that are maybe um, outraged um, as we were at that time, can maybe have their own memories of that very, very soon as well um, in, the, in the coming days. Um, as ever, it's been a pleasure for us to um, sit back and look at these games. Um, if anyone does have any particular memories, anecdotes or recollections of that that they would like to share, we, we genuinely, we always like to see them um, and it always gives us a smile as well. So please feel free to share them um, with us as well. Um, we'll be back again Um a wee bit further down the line with, with another episode, and we might be joined again by um recurring guest who we had to leave out for this particular occasion, Chris Gallagher. Um, but again, thank you very much for listening. I've been Alan Edgar, he's been Barry Gallagher, and we'll speak to you down the road.
0: And there's a touch of, uh, how you might put it, Iberia about this. Henry Larson again! Larson has scored! That's great play from Henry Larson.
1: In the final of the UEFA Cup. There's Hansen, He's done it. A penalty kick. Alan Thompson. He's done it, and he makes it look so simple. Celtic, a one-up. It's a really great feeling. This is a magnificent victory for a team and a manager that suffered a lot. Celtic are through to the UEFA Cup final.